Hello, everyone, and welcome to Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their advice. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review, as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. There have been so many women that I've talked with on Autism Stories about being diagnosed later on in life. And as well as the lack of supports available to them to live a better quality life. That's why I'm so happy today to have Carrie Hall and Lee Stone join me to discuss their creation of the Autistic Women's Alliance and how they are encouraging autistic women to think about, craft, embrace, and express their self-defined individuality within and beyond the workplace. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Carrie and Louise, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Wanted to start out and learn where, for the two of you, where do your stories in the autistic community begin? Let's go back to seven years ago when I was diagnosed. It was sort of like an intervention with my parents, so to speak. Like I was doing, and, and we, our stories are kind of similar, but um, basically I was doing a lot of contract work. And the gaps of unemployment was getting longer and longer. And they saw like a new segment, autism at work program to SCP did I go in the Bay Area. So they told me about that and said, well, maybe you should try to get in. And I was already a client of department rehabilitation because I'm hard of hearing. So I had to kind of basically try to get a diagnosis. And that was very much a struggle because being I'm a woman. I'm verbal. Got a lot of hang-ups. You know, it took about six months. Two psychologists and my parents. And my insurance wouldn't pay. But, I mean, I think the money, I mean, my parents gave me the money, but it was worth it, I think, get that validation. And then from there, I just kind of plummeted forward. And I had to really, really push for it and really advocate for myself. And part of it was, and I got into the autism at work program at SCP. And I've been there for about six years. Um, for me, my story is like kind of weird. <laughs> um, so I was in high school, and basically, I was going to. I went to boarding school. It's important. Um, so I lived in a different state than my parents, and I was like seventeen at the time. And being a teenager, that didn't really occur to me that I was a minor. And so I needed to go to the hospital for some medical tests. So I was having what I thought were heart problems. And so the health center at my school was driving me and, and dropping me off. And they were like, do you need someone to come in with you? And I said, no, it's fine. Just drop me off. And when I got there, I think I was just kind of overwhelmed with everything. And I think I wasn't communicating very well. I think I was acting very autistic, basically. And they asked me, like, where my parents were. I said, they're in a different state. And they made me talk to a social worker because they essentially thought that I was like an abandoned minor in a different state. (laughs) 
And I'm pretty sure that that social worker um, has a son that was on the spectrum because she then had me, cleared me to like go do my medical test or whatever, but also had me like talk to a psychiatrist at the time. And they kind of then brought up the whole thing for me. And I did the whole thing. And um, then I was diagnosed at that point. But I um, sort of like rejected it entirely because I only knew the stereotypes about, you know, little boys with trains. (laughs) And then probably a few, few years ago when I was in my early 20s, I rekindled my autism diagnosis and kind of did a full 180 because now I'm part of AWA and I also work in the autism world. I work for Autocon, which is autism hiring. Now, Louise, you mentioned uh, AWA. The two of you are part of the Autistic Women's Alliance, which is an autistic-run organization that encourages autistic women to think about craft, embrace, and express their self-defined individuality within and beyond the workplace. Why was it so important to create an organization like this? When I was at SAP, SAP has a really good mentoring program. And However, it was really based on neurotypical doing the mentoring of autistic employees. Mm-hmm. I kind of felt like, well, I said, well, in the mentoring program, it's more having to do with social, like helping out with social, like, like how to get people to have lunch with you, stuff like that, not really career mentoring, a little bit different. But when I ran like a women's group at SAP, I kept feeling like, we, we could be doing this. We could be doing like peer mentoring. We could do better, actually. And I felt like that's kind of where the idea came from. And it's running SWAN, SAP Women's Autistic Autism Network, uh, several years ago, and then when I started doing external conferences, then I started to meet other women, other autistic women that worked for a company called Google. And initially, before Louise came, was myself another SAP employee, a true Google employee. But we weren't really on the same page of what we wanted. I think we wanted more like a ERG, like a collection of ERGs from different companies. And when we be in tech, I was really interested in maybe helping women, like. And using mentoring, doing like peer mentoring and matching mentees with mentors. And then Louise came along. Uh, Louise and Cassandra came along and really started the group as we know it. Now, I read that the Autistic Women's Alliance um, has uh, virtual coffee chats. Um, I'm a big fan of coffee. I can't, couldn't survive without it. <laughs> um, and, th- and those have been your most popular offering. Why do you think those that attend those events um, have embraced that so much? Yeah, well, right now it's our only um, official offering because we are brand new and we are working on getting more offerings. But, you know, we've found that for whatever reason, a lot of this just has to do with, um, you know, autistic women and people of marginalized genders in general. Um, But most of our... Uh, members are either later diagnosed or currently self-diagnosed and in the process of of seeking a diagnosis. And so because of that, getting a community of people that are like-minded and sort of understand the struggle, so to speak, is really important. And so we have had some 
we've had a lot of growth in these chats. It used to be, you know, like five people. And now we have, you know, like 30 people on a chat um, from all over the world. We've had people from Australia, um, the UK, Canada, and all the, all over the U.S. And people just, I think they feel heard. They feel that they have a connection. And, like, it's a non-judgmental space where they can really talk about um, things that they struggle with. Uh, we so far we've done pretty, you know, meaty topics. We tend we're, we're planning on doing some lighter topics in the future as well. But there are things that people really want to discuss, and they don't have anybody to discuss it with that will understand. So I think that's why they've been really popular. Yeah, and and, and I think like to kind of expand what you're saying because it's safe space. It's a safe space. It's really like to draw for a long time. It was kind of stalled gives accessibility issues, trying to get the right kind of platform for the for the chat. But it's really kind of, we started off being very informal. We didn't have a lot of topics at first. But now when we started getting more topics, now we have people that come regularly, which is great. But um, we always have a lot of new people, which is awesome. So we're trying to look at different ways of changing out. Eventually, I think we're going to have like some people that are in a group that want to present or share something they know. And we have somebody that's interested in sharing, um, being an entrepreneur, how to set boundaries as an entrepreneur. That's going to be a topic that she'll do, I think, late summer and start expanding our offerings as we go. Now, I've interviewed uh, so many autistics that are transgender or non-binary. So I was pleased to see that the Autistic Women's Alliance talks about your organization being a space for non-cis folks. Can you talk about why that's so so important, especially in relation to employment? Well, in terms of employment, actually, I'll just start in terms of autism first. So in terms of autism, you know, there's just, there's been some studies recently that show that autistic people in general, there's a much higher incidence of gender diversity um, than the non-autistic population. So for any autism organization, to not be inclusive, you're just going to, you know, isolate a lot of people of our community. So it's a huge part of our community. And when it comes to employment in general, you know, why we wanted to have a women's group is, you know, because um, women historically face a lot of unique challenges in the workplace, being underemployed and working against stereotypical male you know hierarchies and things like that but that is just um, amplified if you are in some way gender non-conforming and that's in many parts of the world and country something that is just going to unfortunately be like a deal breaker so if you're autistic you have a lot of uphill battles to go in employment and then if you're a woman you have some additional hurdles just in the workplace always and then if you're transgender and non-binary you have additional struggles all over and so the way that they compound together um, I think it's just really important that we have a space where we can eventually find a way to offer the best services for the whole community and find best resources and plus i want to say there's a huge overlap between lgbtq 
I always get to act acronyms all the letters wrong. Identify as being queer. Um, I don't know what movies how you identify as being queer or or lesbian. Um, like the original group is sort of a good mix between straight, like different parts of the rainbow. Um, so I feel like there's already a large overlap between you know trans and LGBTQ population within the autistic community. So, and like what you're saying, in order to be fully inclusive, and also too, I think with women compared to the male counterparts, because we're diagnosed later, like we tend to mass a lot more. And that has a lot to do with what's expected as far as gender roles and how women are expected to conform to that gender roles. So I think that's really important to kind of trust as a topic. But I know men that do autistic men that mask quite a bit too. Currently, the Autistic Women's Alliance is looking to raise money so you can start developing your first big project, a mentoring pipeline. When, when autistic women don't get men, mentorship, what do you see as potential consequences of this? I think that's kind of what we see happening all over right now is the under, especially the underemployment. I don't know if we already touched on this, but because as Carrie was just saying, you know, women and, you know, people that were assigned female at birth especially, tend to, for whatever reason, probably because of assumed gender roles, are tend to be really good at masking and mask a lot. So because of that, that kind of flows over into the empl- employment world. And so unlike a lot of people, we tend to be able to get past the interview stage and get a job, but not the job that we want. Or maybe we get a contract job or we always the first one to be let go as soon as there's cuts to be made because we've just never really made that connection to make us memorable for someone to stay so so if we if we had mentors that helped us learn things like better self-advocacy skills and better ways to really find the jobs that are going to be more accommodating for us and find your career fit so that you're not doing this jumping around thing that both Carrie and I did earlier in our careers, then that can be avoided. And after, you know, many years, those numbers will eventually decline and we won't have this 85% under unemployment rate. Part of mentoring too is um, like a certain area that you're interested in. Let's just say if you want to go to data science. Well, maybe we can, if we have a data scientist that's a mentor, you can become a mentor and then kind of give them that do information interviews, help them what does it need to do if they want to go to data science? Did they need to go to school or what areas they need to learn or what job skills they need to kind of upskill towards in order to become a data scientist? That's quite important, like what industry, what skills that they need in order to go into that. But certainly, and, and even though mentoring is like our main, like our core mission, we want to expand that to eventually bring in job coaches as something separate from mentoring. But mentoring is like the one thing we need to like sort of build, and that includes bringing in like training. Identify somebody that could do some of the training, which would cost us money since we don't have somebody who could do this in house um, to train mentors. To kind of stuff. Well, this is what mentoring is: setting boundaries, stuff like that, and then also for the software to do the matching based on different criteria. The criteria could be, you know, 
what job class or what industry you want to go into or area post we have to think about post COVID or as some people might prefer face to face connections, that kind of thing in the future. So that's what we need to raise money for. And eventually, once we get past mentoring, definitely to help develop other programs. And that's where bringing in job coaches that help people like with the resumes and interviewing and those kind of skills too, down the line. And then for our listeners that want to learn more about or donate money for your mentoring project, how do they go about doing so? You could probably go to our website and we have a little GoFundMe button on there. Or you can just look for us on GoFundMe or Facebook, off our Facebook page. We have that too. Yeah, we have it pinned, I think, on um, most of our social medias or we share it pretty regularly. So if you search through any of our social medias, Twitter or LinkedIn, we're under the same name, Autistic Women's Alliance. And if you scroll through, you'll find it sometime. <laughs> Something that's frustrating to me in nonprofits is the lack of autistic or neurodivergent uh, board members. How important is it to you uh, now or and in the future uh, in recruiting um, autistic and neurodivergent board members? Well, right now, our board is entirely autistic, and we're also all volunteer. In the future, we always want to be majority autistic. We have discussed that we would be open to having non-autistic board members, especially for more specialized positions where it's just been hard for us to find a candidate. For example, where we've been struggling to find um, a treasurer um, who is, you know, wanting to do that role, I think, as a volunteer role because it does involve more specialized skills. But for us, it's really important to always have majority autistic representation. And I think that will always stand for us. And, and like I've worked with nonprofits previous to this, and it's always a problem trying to bring in volunteers. And you have a good process onboarding, offboarding volunteers because people come and go. Particularly if you're all volunteer organization, people tend to want to go for a job, they need to get a job. So, but. Ideally, we would want to have as many autistic people as possible to help running an organization. And one thing we really would love to have more of is uh, people of color. That's that's one thing we're kind of we're kind of lacking. But we, like, we're starting to get more members that are there are people of color, which is great. Now we need to get more and more involvement. And I I can see that might be something they need to do slowly because we don't want to like give them too much work to do. We just need to be able to have enough people who kind of balance the workload and stuff like that. So we definitely would love to see more of them. And eventually, you know, it would be really great if down the line we can um, pay people and then we're, you know, working against the underemployment, under unemployment rate by employing autistic people as well. And then obviously for any paid roles, we would want to prioritize autistic people for that reason. And even before we can pay people, you know, when we have a board member or even a volunteer, you know, we want to make sure that we can have whatever volunteer work or board work they're doing, you know, look good on their resume so that we can help them in their job search in that way too. And, you know, we can be recommend recommenders for them and things like that too. 
Well, I was uh, probably about a decade ago now, I was the president of a nonprofit for two years. So I know the challenges of running a nonprofit. So I definitely appreciate uh, Carrie and Luis what you're doing and uh, keep up the great work. And thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Thanks so much to Carrie and Louise for the conversation. To learn more about the Autistic Women's Alliance, check out the link in the podcast description for this episode. If you would like to learn beyond this podcast how Autism Personal Coach can help you to reduce your daily overwhelm and get the things that you need and want in your life, then book a Zoom call with me today. A link to book the free call can be found in the podcast description of this episode. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review, as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. On next week's episode of Autism Stories, we will have a conversation with Kirsty Clark about the Neurodiversely Unbroken Facebook page. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.